Hello, and welcome to the Fad and Dad podcast. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. His friends call him Fad. I'm Joshua Burks. His kids call him Dad. And we're the Fad and Dad podcast, where faith is meaningful and wit is an occasional guest. I totally dropped that ball. Sorry, sad fad. Yeah. I thought this wasn't going to be a sad fad day because dad was to be had, but instead it's still just the same old sad fad. (laughs) I hope this podcast can make you glad. I hope so. We'll see. We'll find out. Stay tuned, listeners, to find out whether become whether this sad fad becomes a glad fad. Oh, all thanks to the efforts of Dad. Hey, guess who's back? Back again. Yeah. Hey, I'm Dad. Uh, I'm Josh Burks. I'm the dad of Fat and Dad, and this is my reminder that you can have too much dairy in one day. (laughs) (laughs) And this is. Fad, Father Andrew Dickinson, reminding you that you can't have too much information in one day. <laughs> Either one. There's there's goodness in limits. Does, this, goodness does, in does limits. that joke that you just made mean that we now have to put like a not made for children label on this box? <laughs> 18 plus. Because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> no, I don't either. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, actually, yes. Actually, a comment like that is more like for 40 plus, like old people. <laughs> That's yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, this is for dairy intolerant and old audiences only. Uh, it's good to be back. Episode 19 was a, was a sad fad with no dad. Yeah. Uh, but that means this is episode 20. Boom. Episode 20. Which is like 18 more than we thought we'd do. that's that's so true (laughs) so true um no yeah it was it was a busy period of life uh briefly uh my wife and i it was it was a rocky november we we joined the multitude of silent sufferers who Mm. have miscarried a child um so we experienced that this past november it led to uh quite the surgical episode for my wife uh so a lot of physical healing and a lot of emotional healing Good friends like Fad and good family in the area uh, have really buoyed us up. Uh, but that led to a chaotic schedule of, of a lack of Fad and Dad recording. But we are back, uh, and it is good to be back. We, whether you're listening to this uh, in Advent or not, we're in the season of Advent. And so it's a really good time to be talking. What are you? You are just snickering away <laughs> at something. Away because you said, you, when you said, uh, you know, we're not able to, uh, we weren't able to get together to do the recording. And I so wanted to say, like, yeah, I was sitting there ready, and you're like, yeah, I'm in the hospital, so I can't, like, come. Liz is having surgery. And I'm like, so? <laughs> I got things going on in my life. You don't see me complaining. <laughs> but I didn't. I will say I that um, I did not. There were the details and, like, the cover image and things that you found for the Fad No Dad episode. <laughs> I, it just happened to, I was at the hospital, my wife was recovering post-surgery. I mean, she's in post-anesthesia, so she had no clue what was going on. She was clocked out, taking a good recovery nap, and I was just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. So I was like, hey, you know, what do you need? I'll shoot you the login, I'll shoot you an image. That was nice, that was nice. I thought I was just going to be like hacking in to the account myself (laughs) to try and figure out how to post this fad no dad. 
Thank you. So, we're back. Again. For our dozens. And dozens. I love that. I love the story that you told on the uh, on the last episode of just the people that keep coming up and yeah. singing the praises of Fat and Dad. Thank you for that. Did I tell you about the Uzbekistani listener? Yes. Okay. I think so. I think I Unless you. there's another story coming. No, no. Okay. I just don't it will be time, though, soon to reevaluate the rankings of our international Ooh. listeners to see if Italy is still edging out Belgium in our country number two. We'll have to wait till the new year. Let's wait for the end of 2023. We'll give you a year in review of Fat and Dad. There we go. And then if I'm not mistaken, February of 2024. And so the listeners who are listening to this 10 years down the road when we're still making Fat and Dads, uh, this will seem antiquated. But February of 2024, I think, will be the birthday of Fat and Dad. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's coming up quick. Before you even know it, they grow up so fast. We'll still probably be in Irenaeus. <laughs> yes. No, no, we must not. We must not. So let us move in to Irenaeus of Lyon against heresy. Yeah. Um, one more kind of clap back. Uh, if you haven't listened to the short episode that Fad put out before this, really encourage you to listen to it because it, it it's one of those really great... Um, you know, Fad led us through one of those examples of the great mind and heart of Benedict XVI as Joseph Ratzinger. Um, <clears throat> kind of reading the fathers in one hand and reading the modern times in the other and and just seeing the nature of untruth uh, kind of always reveal itself in different specific ways, but generally in the same way. Right, right. Just amazing how some of the things of that Irenaeus is concerned against are things that are still uh, you know, 1,400 years after his writing and even... Yeah. 1800 years after his writing where we are today are still things going on yeah that's why it pays to know your father mm-hmm. and that's why Irenaeus is now a doctor of the church boom sauce the man of peace yeah that's what his name means in the Greek language yeah peace Irene. it's not ironic it's not ironic it's ironic hey oh uh, so, uh, we're wading into book three. There are many different books or parts to this work against heresies. Uh, and we're diving into book three where, where we begin to find the more substantial approach to a defense of the Christian faith. Uh, books one and two were concerned with, uh, identifying the heretics and heresies that the heretics were putting forth. And now book three, um, <clears throat> He begins his defense. Uh, it's not really an apologia. It's more of like a systematic walkthrough of um, Christian revelation. And he starts with scripture and tradition. It's beautiful. Now you call this you call this a lab of Second Timothy three sixteen yeah. to seventeen. Yeah. Do tell what those but verses just, mean. I will. As, as a good Bible teacher, I have them memorized. So give me a second here so I can flip to them. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got them called up if you want me to. I got. Okay. I just landed there. The The beauty of Bible tabs. Bible tabs. Let's go. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, famous verses as far as the nature of Scripture. 2 Timothy, St. Paul says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And uh, this just seems, Irenaeus is really just living out, like I said, or wrote down in my notes, this is kind of a lab of 2 Timothy 3.16. He's using scripture uh, to really access the source of teaching and reproof toward error uh, and for correction and training in righteousness uh, as defending and, and realizing the beauty of Christian faith and uh, using it as a reproof and correction toward any attack uh, of that faith. So it, it was just really brilliant. I, I kind of view this whole project that Irenaeus is doing as kind of an exercise of 2 Timothy 3.16. Yeah, that's that's I think a cool way to say it, and I and I like that idea of a lab, because again he's kind of yeah. living out that reality uh, mm-hmm. here in place. I also love um, the notion of just how his view of the scriptures and the scriptures' connection to apostolic preaching and tradition, which I think is something mm-hmm. you zoned into as well, because uh, it is a very Catholic mm-hmm. uh, understanding of the scriptures. Right, that it's yeah. not uh, simply that the scriptures uh, came out of nowhere, um, mm-hmm. but uh, that they come out of the preaching. And so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if you want to take on that. Well, yeah, I, I think we both noted this line that, you know, the gospel was kind of enshrined in the preaching of the apostles and then the writing down of that preaching, whether that was from their own hand or from those who were witnessing their preaching. And um, Irenaeus has this really cool line in the beginning of book three, where he says that he's talking about the apostolic preaching, and he says, collectively and individually, they had the gospel of God. That through the, through the singular preaching of an apostle, uh, there was the fullness of the gospel. And yet, also when, when their voices come together like a symphony, especially enshrined and realized in the scriptures, there also lies the fullness of the gospel. Um, And there's just a a really cool both and of um, something that stood out to me was like St. Paul often talks about the gospel that he shares, but even sometimes he goes on to call it my gospel. (laughs) Like this, this faith that is ours is also mine. And what's mine is also ours. And I think a different possession on St. Paul's behalf than the possession of like uh, uh, relativism today my truth and your Mm. truth, right? His possession is the possession of this gospel is here for me and I'm able to proclaim it and share it uh, as opposed Mm. to, well, this is just my version of the gospel. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good connection. Well, and it's like, it's just the gospel is just like the nature of spiritual gifts, right? Mm. The more I, (laughs) the more I give it away, the more I possess it myself. Whereas you can't do that with material gifts. If I give away a material gift, I possess less or none of it. Right. Um, if I have Doritos and I give you some, I have less Doritos. If I have faith and I day. share the faith, I actually don't have less faith. I have more faith. Now I just want Doritos. Sorry. You already had too much cheese on the day. <laughs> I, I hit the dairy I, limit. I can't have Doritos. It's already been established. <laughs> uh, before we get into any more information for our leaders, it's already been established. Um, you know, in this too, he goes on a great job just talking about, you know, and I think um, in this idea too that collectively and individually they all had the gospel of God, and not just the four mm-hmm. gospel authors, but all of the apostolic mm-hmm. preachers. So mm-hmm. Andrew, right, and James, mm-hmm. uh, those who mm-hmm. never wrote a Peter, Paul, who never wrote a gospel, they still had the mm-hmm. fullness of the gospel and preached it. And you think about 
Irenaeus's understanding of that nuance compared to like the some of the uh, modern biblical scholars uh, into like the late 19th century, early 20th century. Well, you know, Luke says Jesus gave a sermon on the plain and Matthew says Jesus gave a sermon on the mount. So, you know, obviously they're wrong. <laughs> and so they both must be wrong because they must all be made up, yeah. you know, vis-a-vis right. ergo concordantly. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Irenaeus, you know, 1600 years before, I don't know who the father of modern like Schweitzer or something right. like that. Who is it? Is it like it's Albert Schweitzer? Slowly growing snowball. Yeah. But anyways, but like, uh, yeah. So it's just really beautiful that St. Irenaeus has this understanding of that nuance and the complementarity. Mm. And he goes on in this paragraph uh, in book three, uh, Matthew published among the Hebrews a gospel written in their language at the time when Peter and Paul were preaching in Rome. And after their death, Mark, the disciple and interpreter, Peter himself delivered to us in writing what had been announced by Peter. Luke, the follower of Paul, put him down in the gospel preached by him. You know, so uh, this very rich tradition, even in Irenaeus's day, he's like, everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing that's at least worth interesting on the on the weight of tradition capital T that we see coming out of Irenaeus is the canonization of these four gospels mm. because there were other gospels to wrestle with at the time right. that even would have seemed credible like uh, Irenaeus did not have a closed canon new testament quite yet because he's he's still just third century right right because this this wasn't closed until the fourth century and the uh, ecumenical councils yeah so the 27 books of the new testament were mostly you know give or take a couple were mostly becoming recognized by the individual churches and the universal church but yeah matthew through revelation was not a set list yet in irenaeus time so he's one of those beautiful um places to go to to witness to the development of the christian canon even as he's listing out these four gospels right uh, that's why he's such a rich uh, source for us. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's why he's a one last doctor. Oh, go ahead. That's why he's a doctor of the Which church. One? Doctor, know your stuff. Yeah. Um, this doesn't necessarily come from Irenaeus's text, but uh, this is just always stuck with me. I heard this from a Dr. John Bergsma talk once, um, just on the nature, because Irenaeus is talking about in Book Three a lot the handing on of the tradition of our faith. And um, <clears throat> Dr. John Bergsma, who's famously a convert to Catholicism, noted that in the New Testament, whenever the word parodesis, uh, which is the Greek word for tradition, whenever it was used in the uh, context of, say, like the Pharisees, oh, the traditions of the Pharisees and your traditions of, you know, uh, table manners and whatnot, it was translated as tradition. But then when St. Paul was using it as the tradition that I traditioned onto you, uh, it was translated in his Protestant Bible as just teaching. Nah, nah. Uh, <laughs> but it's the same word being used. Parodesis <laughs> is being used. But we kind of note this, uh, you know, Catholic allergy to, well, we don't want to seem like we're too tradition. Um, so it was in a, but, that was in his Protestant Bible? And Bergs was Protestant yeah, Bible, though? Yeah, I forget what translation he said that he was reading, sure. but it must have been a, it, it, the translation he grew up with. And he noticed this big disparity between how parodesis is being translated in a positive and negative sense. Sure. Um, so here we just see Irenaeus, again, kind of in a lab of 
handing on the tradition. He's talking about tradition received, yeah. and now he is moving it forward. And I think about that. Uh, one of my Old Testament scholars, my Hebrew teacher, would say, my translator is my betrayer. <laughs> Very so, good. Yeah. 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 So um, just maybe one last thing with this, too, is this connection between uh, kind of jumping to 3-3, the idea mm. of, uh, in this passage caught both of our attentions, that idea that uh, I believe the scriptures because of the teaching and tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. Right? That it's not uh, the other way around in some way. Um, and so, uh, with the same sequence, sequence and doctrine, the tradition from the apostles and the church and the preaching of truth has come down to us. This is a complete proof that the life-giving faith is one and the same, preserved and transmitted in truth in the church from the apostles up till now. Mm. There's this part right around where you are where he uh, he doesn't list it out just for space's sake, but he's, he's even just willing to attest to the fact, like, look, there's not room and it'd be unnecessary to write out the list of successors, but we can do that if we need to. But this is a faith that's being transmitted like by the laying on of hands, by each generation of succession from the apostles. And Irenaeus is in such a young church that he's saying, hey, I can still trace out the hands of the apostle John down to the bishops of, of you know, the 12 generations that have succeeded him until now. Right. Uh, just a beautiful witness to the, the secure deposit of faith that was being enshrined and protected around apostolic succession. Amen. Like this is how it was moving forward. And then he also says, I, I really um, felt compelled toward this one, where he talks, I think, in 3.1, so book three, paragraph sure. one, the calamity of a bishop falling prey to heresy. Mm. Like how important it is for a bishop to be one who is um, upstanding and faithful and the calamity of, you know, our faith rests on <laughs> being handed down through the succession of apostles. Uh the, well, I, I can't really think of another word for calamity right now, but the, the danger, disaster, the, um, disaster that it is. And the, um, well, I don't want to say that the joy, cause our enemy doesn't feel joy, but how, how much he longs for that to, to occur. So it was, it was moving for me to continue to pray for our bishops as the ones who hand on our deposit of faith. Amen. You know, and as we're uh, recording this on December 8th, uh, Our Lady's Immaculate Conception, which is the whoop. patronal feast of these United States. Whoop, whoop. And so to pray for our bishops in these United States. Can I get Amen. three? Can I get three whoops? Whoop, whoop, whoop. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> Did you catch in this uh, in paragraph three that he's talking about a lot of the other fathers that we already started with on Fat and Dad? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, he's talking about Clement. Um, he's talking about Polycarp. It's like, hey, we read those. We read those guys. No Justin though, but he was never a bishop. Irenaeus. No Justin Martyr. Oh Justin, I thought you said no jesting. He was never a bishop. Oh sorry, Irenaeus was yeah. He was bishop of Leo. I am not right? jesting yeah. about the fact that there is no jesting. <laughs> Correct. So, yeah. He was a layman. <coughs> <coughs> Pardon me. So, uh, you, kind of moving on in the book to try and yeah, yeah. Uh, 
move us along in an attempt to finish this book today. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so as he continues to go through, uh, this uh, deepens in this idea of uh, salvation by tradition, not by scripture. Right. Mm. Um, written without paper or ink by the spirit in our hearts. Um, mm-hmm. And just the ancientness of the tradition. Um, and also again, against the um, Gnostic notion that the apostles hid teachings. Because again, part of the whole notion yeah. of the Gnosticism is the hiddenness, the hiddenness of yeah. the teachings. And it's interesting, yeah. like even to this day, like, we still talk about the fact that like our teachings are fully available any person on the street can mm-hmm. pick up the catechism of the Catholic Church and find what the church teaches as saving doctrine. Yeah, our faith is not uh, a secret society. Uh, we, we, we don't want to put a, a basket over you know the lamp that is the light of our faith. Uh, in fact, our Lord encourages us to be light to the world and to be salt to the earth. And so this is what Irenaeus is doing. This is what Irenaeus is proving. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that's kind of the main thrust of why he's talking about this um, in, enshrining and protection of, but also just this full transparency of apostolic succession is that the fullness of faith is being handed on with these apostles and they're not trying to hide anything, which that was a really big thrust of Gnosticism that, well, there's only these secret teachings that can be found in, you know, in this book or, or by diving into this kind of secret codified text. Uh, that was kind of the heresy that he's facing of the day. And so he's really making the point that our faith is, is publicly and fully openly transmitted as it's being handed down through this apostolic succession. Yeah. Yep. Uh, without, uh, Thus the Lord and the apostles expressed their teaching not uh, that they didn't that they did it without hypocrisy, without hiddenness. Yeah. 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 And it, it made me call to mind what our Lord says in Luke chapter eight, that nothing is hidden that will not come to light. And how many times is our Lord talking about like <laughs> the salvation is for the world? So what's the point in having a very secret codified gospel that ushers forth from that? It's so moving along on some things, I assigned you homework. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So, are you ready on this? Go ahead. Go ahead. Set it up. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I need to open the open the Bible. Open the Bible. So, uh, one of the things that he tries to refute is the Gnostics' claim that Saint Paul openly uh, talks about the God of this age, thus supposedly mm-hmm. giving credence to the Gnostic teaching. That there is a god of the material world, uh, uh, or demiurge, or whatever the word might be, uh, and mm. the one of Jesus Christ who seeks to save men and uh, women from the, ma- the the fallenness of the materials of this world. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of explains St. Paul in that way by saying that the apostle frequently used transposition. Uh, because of the speed of his words and the impetus of the spirit within him uh, can be found in many other places. Mm-hmm. So, do you have some insight? So it, it, it did. It led me into a little deep dive just to maybe explain what St. Paul is doing in Second Corinthians chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> he's coming off the heels of chapter 3, which is one of probably St. Paul's greatest chapters, uh, talking about this ministry of the new covenant that's written on our hearts, just like Irenaeus was talking about. And 
kind of the trouble verse then is chapter four, verse four of second Corinthians, where St. Paul says in their case, that is unbelievers in their case, the God of this world and note that most translations here are going to be using a lowercase g that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. End quote. Irenaeus is saying that, oh, well, here the Gnostics, you know, have their proof that the God of this world is that the God we find in the Old Testament, who's not the God and Father of Jesus Christ. Proof text. Yeah, exactly. I think two kind of major, not major, one major, maybe one minor, um, unpopular possible translation or interpretation of, of a verse like this. First, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Seeing this in, in light of kind of the whole biblical witness, pretty easily concluding that this is Satan, right? Uh, our Lord himself, specifically in, in the Gospel of John, refers to Satan as the, the prince of this world right. or the ruler of this world. And so St. Paul's just uh, kind of carrying on that same language that our Lord himself uses. And, and that is true. Like Satan has had dominion over the fallen world uh, and the fallen material creation. Uh, but our Lord usurps that through his cross. And so, of course, that would make sense then. In their case, you know, Satan is trying to blind the mind of believers and keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. I think here's here would be cause for further reflection. Um, I don't think it's entirely unbiblical to try and make the case that this could be um, the Lord that that Paul is talking about, if we if we dare put an uppercase G with it, I think it would be a similar case to kind of the difficulties of reading through the Exodus accounts, where we read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, but then the Lord is the one trying to soften <laughs> Pharaoh's heart through through Moses and Aaron, right? right? So why does Exodus say that the Lord hardened? Pharaoh's heart. And it's just, it's, it's the, um, the nuances and the difficulties sometimes that we find in biblical languages and in biblical narrative of the effect of, of God's presence and God's activity on different hearts. Probably the most simplified analogy I've heard is that, um, <clears throat> wax and clay will react differently to the same sun, right? Clay will harden and wax will melt. And so a heart that is disposed to harden, will harden before God's grace and activity. Um, and a heart that is disposed to be softened and receive him will be softened and receive him. So it's possible. So uh, you say that's a up. simple explanation, right? What would be the problem, just so our listeners would know, the problem of that explanation? The problem, the difficulty that you'd have to carefully work through is that God caused someone to reject the gospel or God caused someone uh, to be blinded to receiving the truth of the gospel, which would be a conclusion we'd want to carefully avoid. Um, and yeah, that would, that would be a reason for a lot longer and different podcasts. Yeah. But like you said, just as, as setting up at least the, the bumper rails there, if we're going to go with that more difficult interpretation, we would have to, you know, just clarify some points along that, God does, as James chapter one says, you know, um, God does not tempt us. God would not intentionally keep us from being led to the truth. Uh, it's more the activity of the human heart, not God himself. Thanks. That's all. That's all I wanted to hear. That's all I wanted from you.
Oh, thanks. I'm glad. I... Are you glad now? No, but B plus in your assignment. Okay. We'll see if I can become glad. <laughs> I'll be glad if we get through this book. But we're already at like, yeah. I don't know, like 30 minutes and we're not through this book. Oh, whoops. Yeah, we're like in chapter five of 20-something. Yep. <laughs> so, so, can I just briefly highlight in uh, paragraph nine, right, or whatever you want to call it, chapter nine, uh, we asked, you know, is Jesus different from the Christ? And mm. uh, it's he's he's against adoptionism, uh, Irenaeus is. But it's interesting to note that that really won't be settled until the Council of Ephesus. Ephesus, right? And the, can you uh, can you do a sentence or two on adoptionism? So adoptionism is the notion that the man Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, but then at some point later in his ministry, the baptism at the River Jordan or some other his mm-hmm. resurrection, it was then that God adopted him to become the Son of God. That he was not yeah. born as son of God. He was born simply a son of man who... He was born like an action, Andrew Dickinson or a Josh Burks. Right. Like he was just another dude. Yep. And God just kind of boop, boop, bippity-boppity-booped him yep. and so, into being the son uh, of God. The, for various reasons, the uh, Orthodox Christian teaching on this is that no, from the first moment of his existence in the womb, he was true God and true man. Uh, which was vigorously defended at the Council of Ephesus. And that's where we gain the title of Theotokos for the mother of Jesus. Yeah, that we could not only just call her the mother of Christ, but we can call her the mother of God. And that's what that Greek word means. It means God-bearer. Theotokos. And Nestorius would be notorious for not liking that. Right. And so you don't know who Nestorius is, most listeners, though. Uh, but, uh, so anyways, uh, yeah. So like, and just a reminder that whenever we say things about the blessed Virgin Mary, we say it because mm-hmm. of what we say about Jesus. Oh, amen. Yeah. Um, can I jump ahead to chapter 11? Do it. Okay. Um, so he says like why there are exactly four gospels. Aside mm-hmm. from the fact that that's how many we got, um, <laughs> cause we didn't get five. <laughs> you should have wrote against heresies, fad. <laughs> thou shalt, uh, what, what's the? Um, thou shalt taketh the holy hand grenade, and thou shalt count it <laughs> to three. Not two that doth come before three, nor four that doth come after three, but three. Um, there are four gospels because God didn't give us five, which comes after four, or three, which comes before four, but four. Uh, but no, uh, Saint Irenaeus finds a typological Ooh. yes fancy word alert right typological answer uh referring first to the uh four uh beasts in the visions of ezekiel and revelation mm-hmm. uh which has become i don't know if, i wonder if he's the first one to connect them to the gospels i think he might be because yeah. it's pretty it's pretty popular and especially in iconography Very much today so. that uh Matthew is seen as this Aquarius, the man. Mark Aquarius? is seen as... Isn't that the name, Aquarius? I think you got your like 1970s like hippie drug music stuff going on. You sure? Okay, I'm going to look that up later. <laughs> I'm only 40 to 60% sure. Okay. Maybe 50% okay. sure. He's seen as the man. Yep. Uh, Mark is seen as uh, Leo, the lion. Yep. Uh, Luke is the ox. Yep. 
or the ram, or no, not the ram, the ox or the bull, uh, and John is the eagle. Now, uh, Irenaeus fleshes that out a little bit while you look up your error on Aquarius. Um, so he says that uh, the first animal is like a lion, Mark, referring to the power, primacy, and royalty of the Son of God. The second is like a young bull, indicating his function as a sacrificer and a priest. The Gospel of Luke, which of course starts in mm-hmm. the temple with mm-hmm. Zechariah, the it's father of John the Baptist. Very liturgical book. And then the third is a face like that of a man, or an Aquarius, according to Josh Burks. I'm uh, getting there. Clearly describing his human coming, so his family, and that's where it starts with the genealogy. And then the fourth is like a flying eagle uh, to the sea. Uh, indicating this gift of the Spirit flying upon the church. And, of course, St. John's mm-hmm. Gospel being the most spiritually profound. Did my long drawing out saying the word profound give you time to find that you were wrong? Profound. Um, no, but here's where I think I'm right, is that um, this is more historical than it is biblical. But these, these four beasts... I think I could be totally wrong. So sorry, fat and dadders. But uh, these four beasts Wouldn't that we be the first find time introduced... for either of us. <laughs> get get ready to to slam the heresy button. Yeah. Um, but these four beasts are mentioned in obviously Ezekiel, and then they reappear in the Book of Revelation. And Revelation is kind of from this cosmic point of view, from the heavenly uh, throne of God. And it depicts these four beasts on kind of the four corners of God's throne. Well, these beast images also line up with the four corners of the Zodiac, right? And this is getting, this is way extra biblical, but just kind of seeing the Zodiac as the four corners of the cosmos uh, and from a more like astrology pagan point of view. And I think Aquarius is like the man looking one on one of the four corners of the Zodiac, so it's often linked with the man equals Aquarius on the Zodiac. What has, am I, what am ha- I there? What has Christ to do with the Zodiac? <laughs> He's Lord over it. <laughs> like to those who think that the Zodiac is like, you know, the, the skeleton and lording over space and time. Like, no, whose throne sits on top of the Zodiac of the four corners of the cosmos? I don't, I don't, God. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. But so I'm just so a little confused uh, yeah, by your I, use of that. Yeah, just... All I can think of when you say Thanks. Aquarius, though, is this is the dawning of the... <laughs> don't, don't tell that. Mm, no? No, that's all you. That that one's for you. You don't know that song? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know that song? No. Oh, my gosh. Uh-uh. <laughs> 1960. See, this is, this is not making me glad. Aquarius, Zodiac. Screen- and he looks like a man. Screen share. I don't know how to do that. We're going to be on Fat and Dad for a long time. <laughs> okay. So, but where does this, where, but where is this actually connecting then? Uh, to Irenaeus? Yeah. <laughs> it's an A equals B equals C equals D equals and the other letters kind of connection. So uh, Irenaeus is making the four evangelists, making the comparison to the beast that we find in Revelation, uh, Christian reading has often seen the four beasts of revelation in light of or or over and against the four signs that we find in the corners of the zodiac. So that's why if you ever see Matthew's 
image as Aquarius, it's because of that A equals B equals C kind of chain link reaction. Yeah, where have you ever seen anyone like talking about like Aquarius in connection with Christ? No clue. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think I I read one commentary once. I was looking at Revelation from like uh, over contra zodiac. Sure. Theology. Sure. And that's probably where this one pointless seed <laughs> is like taken root in my brain. <laughs> I think I, I think I found the key word. Pointless or seed? Point, Which one? Pointless. pointless. <laughs> ah. Nice. Well, um, there's other great stuff in book three. That we'll probably have to talk about next time. I don't know. What do you think? What are we going to do? What do we want to do? It's a great question because there's a lot of there's a lot on the Virgin Mary, which is which is really beautiful. Right. And recapitulation. Yeah. Okay, let's save recapitulation. That needs its own podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does. Oh, see, I'm I'm not glad. We'll be back. I'm not glad. Oh, man. Sad fad. Sad fad. But glad Dad to be back on on the episode stream. And I I am glad that Dad is back on the stream. Yes, thank you. And that uh, the members of Dad's pad are feeling less bad. Allowing this oh, no. podcast to be had. <laughs> Someone stop him. <laughs> Hold him back. I'm stuck in the Matrix. Oh, man. Well, you know, Fan and Dadders, you've trudged with us through 20 episodes. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, it's been it's been fun for you to be with us. And uh, <laughs> thank you for thank you for putting up with 20 episodes. Yeah, amen to that. So we'll uh, we'll see you for twenty one. Stick around for a word from our sponsors here at the end. Right, because uh, make sure you buy a uh, uh, what do you call it? Oh, what was it that we said? Juna uh, Juna Sleep Systems or something like that. What's the what are all the podcasters advertising? I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. I told my I told cool. I told my oldest niece. She's a senior in college. I told her I was doing a, a podcast with a friend of mine. And she's like, oh, you got to be sponsored by this or that because all the podcasters are sponsored by this. I'm like, they're like, they're like professional podcasters. Yeah. Like, we're, trying. We're, we're not. We're not. So, no. We don't. If you would like true. to be our sponsor and uh, pay for our Let web, us know. web hosting. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Send, send us an email. And you guys, apparently you guys all remember where the email address anyways. And we will mention uh, your sponsorship. <laughs> hey! Now we're big time. Yeah. Just kidding. Actually, don't. Uh, instead, support your local parish and other local Catholic nonprofits. How about that? Amen. If you want to support us, do that. Amen. All right. That makes me glad. Hey! All right. Happy ending. <laughs> Happy ending. And God bless you. And uh, we'll... Talk to you the next episode. Episode 21. Peace out. Irenaeus out.